ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Porter, and today I have with me a very special guest, as always, but this is really special because I am so intrigued by Dory that uh, I don't know where to start. So I'm going to start by saying my guest is Dory Clark. She comes to us from New York, and I'd like to read a little bit about her background for you before we get into it. Dory helps individuals and companies get their best ideas heard in a crowded, noisy world. She has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50. She was honored as the number one communication coach by the Marshall Goldsmith Leading Global Coaches Awards and one of the top five communication professionals in the world by Global Gurus. She's a keynote speaker and teaches for Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School. She's the author of her upcoming book, which may be close to being published the day by the time this gets aired, The Long Game, which I'm so excited to talk to her about, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. Um, there's more to tell, but I just want to say welcome, Dory Clark, to my podcast. Janice, thank you very much. Great to be here. I know how hard it is to sit there when someone's reading all these wonderful things about you and I haven't even said hello. And so I felt I need to do that. I wanted to just add a few more things here because it leads me into the beginning of my questioning with you. Uh, Dory is a former presidential campaign spokeswoman and has been described by the New York Times as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. She's a frequent contributor to the, Harvard, to the Harvard Business Review and consults and speaks for clients such as Google, Yale University, and the World Bank. Forbes has declared that, quote, her insights connect marketing, social media, communications, learning technologies, and personal discovery to give us a blueprint for success in the future economy. She is a graduate of Harvard Divinity School, a producer of a multiple Grammy-winning jazz album, and a Broadway investor, and I think a lyricist, as I as I remember reading somewhere too. So, um, with that wonderful um, uh, bio that you uh, provided us with, provided me with, I, I just have to start by saying, "Wow!" First of all, and secondly, as an expert at self reinvention. Okay, I want to start there because. I know you're a true entrepreneur, a true solopreneur, as you call yourself as well, that has reinvented yourself many times. But you also talk, and we'll get into it, but you also talk about um, having multiple streams of income. And I think that came way before it was um, it was uh, the fashion, you know, to to have it before the gig economy, before you know we have to protect ourselves. So how did that happen for you? Well, in my case, Janice, my awareness, at least, about 
the precariousness of just <laughs> having one job or, or being reliant on on one company uh, came early on because actually for my first job, I was a newspaper reporter and I managed to get laid off. And it was it was early on, it was 2001, uh, when it was very rare for journalists to get laid off. So I was totally surprised by this. Oh, wow. And they were not the most generous. Uh, they gave me, I had worked Monday, so they gave me four days of severance pay. They paid me through the rest of the week and uh, said, all right, you know, good luck. <laughs> so I, I realized, oh my gosh, I need to get this figured out fast. And mm -hmm. It certainly took me a while to operationalize that knowledge, but I think it imprinted me very viscerally with the fact that uh, safe jobs are not really so safe. And the real safety comes in creating options for yourself. And so I am a big fan of people uh, having both multiple clients and multiple types of work that they do. So even if you are uh, working for a company and love it, I think that's amazing. I think it's also not a bad idea to have a side gig uh, as well, just as a form of both protection for yourself and a way to capture some potential upside. So, um, you know, I grew up in the in the uh, in the world of get a job, get a pension, you know, and I'm aging myself. But but I learned also that number one, I didn't want to be pigeonholed in one thing i get bored too easily but number two that the world had changed and more so for my children in the sense that um i could see that that wasn't the way to go for everybody but more so oh there's your kitty cat behind you i see um what it makes me think of though i know that you teach in business schools and so when you and i know you teach in the um uh the business departments or the extend extension programs um and i'm not exactly sure what you teach i know it's business related and so in that i wanted to ask you do you teach your students about that or is it a natural now with today's you know graduate students and, and students in university well in the business school teaching that i do um at Columbia, primarily, I'm teaching personal branding. And ah. at Duke, what I am teaching is a, a program that I developed and have been uh, teaching for about seven or eight years called Communication for Leaders, uh, which is kind of a mix of crisis communication and presentation skills and social media. So we don't really talk too much about creating multiple revenue streams per se, just because the, the topics are a little bit outside of that. But certainly it is a really important uh, discussion that I frequently have when I'm, when I'm on shows like this, because mm -hmm. I, I do think it's important for people to realize that, you know, no one's, no one's going to hand this to you, right? We, we have to take control of our own careers and it is very convenient uh, if you're working inside of a corporation for that corporation to basically be like hey don't worry about it but uh you always need to worry about it and i think one of the best things that, that we can do really is to begin thinking about how we can leverage our skills uh nights and weekends in different ways and you know it doesn't mean that you have to you know that everybody has to be self-employed that's not the point but the point is that optionality is a good thing and if there are skills that you have that you can be practicing and deploying, and you know, hopefully it may be a way that you can continue burnishing 
your skills uh, in ways that will even help you at your day job, then it really is a win-win. Mm -hmm. Personal development as well as um, business um, growth and learning more about things in business, for sure. So your last book, I think, was called Entrepreneurial You, correct? Indeed. And, and it was, I think, um, the message about the multiple streams of income and so on. So now you're moving into the long game. And tell us about your new book, because I'm very excited. I know it comes out September 21st, which is probably about around the time this will air. So um, tell me about it and, and the story behind doing this book and then and the name of it. Because remember, when we first spoke, I said, hey, that name makes me think of uh, sports. And then that wasn't you at all. So I'm really curious. Yes. Well, actually, it's funny. I got an, an email from a, a friend the other day who I think has COVID on his mind a little too much. And he said, oh, I'm so excited about your new book, The Long Haul. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's, that's not quite it, but, but thank you. <laughs> so good. Yeah. But I, I started to get interested in the concepts in the long game well before our current unfortunate pandemic situation. <laughs> Mostly because even even before uh, all all of this and COVID, it's pretty clear to most observers that we are in an increasingly short term oriented world. I mean, right. of course, it's human nature to want results fast. That's you know sort of the the way that that we're wired. But things like social media and just increasing pressures for quarterly results if we're talking about publicly traded companies or you know people looking around and comparing themselves now to people all around the world instantly available on social media it it begins to accelerate the pressure both self-imposed and externally imposed for results now and it creates a conflict frankly because most of the things that are worth aspiring for while it would be nice if we could get them instantly, it usually doesn't happen that way. It usually takes a while. It usually takes longer than we want. And for me, the big question was, okay, if we understand that most of what is worth striving for is going to take longer than we want, and there's going to be a period of time in between deciding we want that and attaining it where you're just kind of slogging, and it's it's not it's not going as fast as you want it's not going the way that you want you may wonder if you're actually making any progress at all what do you do during that time to keep yourself engaged to keep yourself motivated so you don't give up too soon on something that actually could have been really valuable that was the question that inspired me to get started writing the long game and did you find the answers <laughs> well, I, certain, I certainly attempted to. Okay. So in writing the long game, I mean, it it is tricky, right? Because yes. in the moment, it's very hard to know whether something is not working or whether something is not working yet. And I tried to come up with a series of suggestions for people so that they could begin to parse that question and figure out is it worth persevering and mm -hmm. so I, I suggest a, a variety of techniques i mean one of my favorites for instance is what i call looking for raindrops and what i mean by that is that it turns out 
in talking to a lot of people who are striving towards success. And fortunately, I feel like I, I've gotten a pretty good um, and pretty broad sample of people from my executive coaching clients and people who are part of my online community that I run called Recognized Expert. What I have seen is that oftentimes we are so fixated on whatever the ultimate goal is, you know, whether it's, oh, well, I want a book contract or I want to be a New York Times bestseller or I want to get promoted to CEO or I want to get the keynote invitation or I want to land the, you know, the million dollar contract or whatever, whatever the stretch goal is for you in your world. We are so fixated on that that almost anything less than that seems like a letdown, or it seems just like, well, oh, well, I'm not there yet. And the truth is, there are signs of success, but they're almost imperceptible if you don't know to look for them and if you don't force yourself to look for them. They're, they're often very subtle and we have to train ourselves. And it could be things like, you know, something as simple as getting a complimentary email from your boss or from a client. Or it could be that all of a sudden you start to get more LinkedIn requests than usual because people are starting to get interested in what you're doing or they've heard about you. Those are things that you might just gloss over and say, well, yeah, whatever, but that's, that's not important. But the truth is it is important because it's evidence and it's evidence that things are, are beginning to work and uh, it helps you sort of follow that trail of breadcrumbs so that you can understand all right, I do need to keep going with this, even during the dark times. I think that it makes me think of um, of being grateful for the little things and, and thinking positive and all of that self-talk that we need to do to keep us spurring on, to keep us going on the goal that we, you know, towards the goal that we want, because it is difficult sometimes. And if we say it's difficult, of course it is difficult, but, um, you know, the long, I I see now the long haul, I was going to (laughs) say, the long game is, it also makes me think of, um, a lot of sales training when people say, you know, when people say no, I interviewed uh, Andrea Waltz on my podcast, go for no. And she's all about, um, you know, the more no's you get, the closer to the yes you are, but you have to be, you have to be willing to keep going and hearing those no's before you get to the yes. So I'm, I'm guessing it's a similar kind of um, philosophy in that sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the points that I raise in the long game is that another place where I think we often go wrong is that we get a little overly fixated about a particular path. And the truth is, if there is a general destination that we want to be at, mostly we actually can get there, at least as long as our time horizon is long enough. But we have to understand that the particular path we've identified might not be possible. I mean, you know, this is where people get their heart broken. They say, well, mm-hmm. you know, I only want a job at Apple or I want to publish a book, but it only can be with, you know, a major publishing house or right. whatever it is. And anytime there is an institution with gatekeepers, you know, you you could have your life foiled because Brenda doesn't like you. You know, yes. like, yes. like, are we going to put that much control in Brenda's hands? Like, <laughs> no, no, we can't let that happen. So it's really important to just reorient and realize like, okay, you know what? I'd like to get a job at Apple, but if that doesn't work, I'd be just as happy working at 
Google or at Microsoft, or maybe at a company that partners with Apple, or maybe with a, another startup that could be a design focused, you know, hardware company that could be the next Apple. And we just need to, to sort of step back and say, does it literally have to be this thing? Or is it better? Can we conceptually reorient so that we can still succeed even if a particular gatekeeper is stymieing us? That's so good for Brenda. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. It's so true. Um, I saw, I, I have a quote I wrote down from something I either listened to that you were talking at or I read that you were saying, and you know that I'm all about um, relationships in business. And and I, I'm sure, I'm well, based on this quote, relationships are part of the long game. I think it's from your book. Uh, the things that change us as people are the books we read and the people we meet. And how do you think, um, when we talk about the, the people we meet, are we net is this networking is this is this um controlled like uh i need to meet this person and so using linkedin or using the people you know um uh through the six degrees of separation i'm gonna get there or talk to me about that talk to me about that quote relationships are a part of the long game yeah absolutely so ultimately i think this probably makes sense to most people that our future success the trajectory of our life in general is going to be shaped by the people that we know um, whether we're looking at one end of the spectrum at the famous jim Rohn quote that you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with that's certainly true also we all know there's plenty of examples of uh, referrals for jobs or other opportunities that come from friends or even from just casual acquaintances that we meet so there's a lot of reasons why it's a good idea to cultivate a network and to be thoughtful about that. So yeah, I, I would I would view all of this as networking um, with the proviso that as you know, Janice, lots of people have a lot of baggage associated with that term. They don't like the term networking because they assume that it means something sleazy. And <laughs> so that is why in the long game, I actually make a point of differentiating between what I call three different classes of networking, essentially. One, which I really discourage, is short-term networking, which really is the, I need a thing. Janice can get me a thing. Let's meet Janice. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of terrifying. Uh, it's yeah. like they're, they're the Terminator and they, they, will, uh, they will apprehend you at all costs. Um, and, you know, nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be part of it. Um, you know, so I just advise people like, look, you know, if you're if you're desperate, that's the wrong time to be networking. Sorry. You know, like if you're desperate for real, go to your existing friends and maybe they can finagle a favor on your behalf. But it's but it's be, it's not because you're desperate. It's because they have relationships with with people that they've built over time. that They might be able to call in for you. Um, it, it, when you're desperate is is not ever a time to create a new relationship. Um, it usually because, shows, right? You can tell that that's, that that's the kind of um, outreach that they're having. It's all about them and, and uh, it's not sincere. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
And so what I suggest instead is that we should really focus on two other types of networking. One is long, what I call long-term networking, which is really just, you know, hey, um, this person seems interesting. You know, they maybe they can help me someday. I don't know. But, you know, it's not like you have a particular thing in mind. It's mostly just like, wow, they seem cool. They seem interesting. Sure, you know, our paths overlap in some way. Let's get to know each other. That's a great reason. It's a great mentality because it's about just seeing how things unfold and enjoying them as a person. And then I additionally encourage, this is the part that gets forgotten sometimes, uh, what I call infinite horizon networking. And this is encouraging people basically to network with people who seem completely irrelevant to them. You know, for most professionals, you can you can um encourage them pretty easily like oh hey you're in banking well you should meet fred he's in banking too he's an influential guy you know who knows something could happen and you're probably like yeah you're right okay i'll get to meet fred but if you're in banking and i'm like hey you know you should uh, you should meet joanne over there joanne's a comedian and you're like what <laughs> like why why do i care about that why is that relevant but actually it can be some of the best and most transformative networking to do that because she is going to have a point of view and background and connections that are totally different than what you have this is the way that we open up our mind to different possibilities and it also you know it turns out that paths can overlap in really surprising ways and so making a point which a lot of people do not to cultivate connections that seem really irrelevant at present uh, is actually a competitive advantage okay that's a great point and i think however that if people are not a you know it's one thing to meet people and to have that initial conversation but to nurture a relationship that you're not sure about which you need to do i think as you move forward uh, that's that would be difficult, I think. That's the hard part. Yeah, and and you know, to be clear, it's. I'm not saying that people need to be like oh, suddenly best friends with with no. you know lots of random people, but there's ways that we can stay in light touch with people. I mean, I, you know, sometimes people ask me. Uh, because I, I do try to make a point of connecting with a lot of people and building relationships and keeping in touch. Uh, people often ask, you know, they think it's like a, a software thing or something. They're like, oh, well, what software do you use? What's CRM? How do you keep track of it? The truth is I really don't. Um, the CRM in my head, and I feel like this is actually a pretty good discipline that just about anybody could do, is that when I am reminded of someone organically, I just make a a note of it and i reach out to that person and that's it that's literally it but it enables me to keep in touch in a very organic and authentic way because i you know oh I, well i read this article and i thought you'd like it or i saw this you know i saw your post on facebook and i wanted to congratulate you or oh you know um i i got a reminder from my telephone that uh, a year ago today we were having coffee at such and such you know and like all of those types of things and it it gives you a way to uh to stay in touch light touch is actually fine for a lot of your relationships um you don't want to meet somebody you know, and let 10 years go by, but, uh, but you don't actually have to be quite so methodical. It's, uh, it's really more about being thoughtful. 
I love it. And that is so one of my mentors, um, CEO of uh, Send Out Cards, Cody Bateman, um, he talks about uh, acting on your promptings. And that's exactly what you were talking about when someone comes to mind. And for me, if someone comes to mind, I'll either pick up the phone, which is not done very often these days, or send a card to someone or maybe even text them. I don't like to email so much anymore because they just get in, you know, the thousands of emails that we get. Um, however, uh, actually, I had an interesting one today. I saw there was a message on my business line and I I guess I didn't see it the other day and I listened to it and I couldn't quite get the person's name, but she said, um, hi, my name is so and so I, I see where I see you in my contacts and I'm not really sure who you are, but I'd like to see, you know, what the she didn't even know who I was. And I, I thought that's really interesting. So a good approach. But the last thing she said was maybe you'd be interested in my new business. She thought she doesn't even know she's just reaching out and networking in one, you know, for her business. So I thought that was interesting. I haven't done anything with it. But um, uh, you, I want to just shift topics for a second, because um, I'm glad you talked about the networking and the three kinds of networking because I had notes about it and um, you so I must have read it about your book or something because um, short term, long term, infinite horizon networking. Um, but you talked about reactive, reciprocal and random relationships. Can you speak to that? Ah. Or does it mean anything? Rea I wrote <laughs> it there. reactive, reciprocal and random relationships. And Those I think, sound fantastic, although I don't think that's my framework, <laughs> but I can guess. <laughs> yeah, but you were talking, I think it was in a podcast, actually. And I think, yes, I think the person that interviewed you was um, maybe making that um, connection because you talked about different um, types of uh, way, uh, different networking possibilities alumni organizations going deep not wide does that ring a bell i think that's yeah what yeah absolutely yeah so um okay but my diversion was really about okay you are a writer you are a journal you are a journalist you are a broadway producer you are a lyricist and probably so many other things that oh on a tedx speaker you're uh, uh, uh uh, keynote speaker in many different situations. How, how do you, um, okay, did you, were you always curious about different things or did one thing lead to another? And, you know, did you just think, oh, I can do that now, or, you know, I haven't gone down this path before, or was it just from your youth, all the different things? I don't know. I'm just curious because I'm curious as to how you managed to diversify so much. Ah, well, I have always been curious about a lot of things. That is true. Um, I mean, even even as I'm launching my book right now, I'm uh, I mean, I'm driving myself crazy with it because there's so many pieces, but like I'm simultaneously trying to get Italian citizenship. So <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm not like doing podcasts and trying to launch this book, I'm like uh, doing records requests and translations and you know all, all of this uh all this nonsense so i try to have a lot of irons in the fire <laughs> but uh um, italian now i have to ask you see why uh, why it oh well that's the one i qualify for uh i uh it, it is a um, blood descent 
uh, situation. So my great grandfather was Italian and through a series of happy coincidences, uh, because there are some different factors at play that make it non-obvious, uh, I do qualify for it, but uh, getting getting the proper paperwork to substantiate that and get it translated and apostilled and you know all the things that one has to do is a little bit onerous, but uh, but I'm working on it. Interesting. Oh, you have to let me know. So do you speak Italian? I, I don't yet, although I have made uh, I have made the commitment that if I do, in fact, get Italian citizenship, I feel like I owe it to Italy to learn yeah. to speak Italian. So that that will become my project at that point. And what's your favorite place in Italy? Oh, well, it's uh, it's it's certainly hard hard to choose. Uh, there's there's so many cool places in Italy. I um, I mean, the other thing, of course, is if I become an Italian citizen, I would intend to uh, dramatically ramp up my uh, my tourism to to go to all the different places. I haven't yet, for instance, been to Sicily, which I think seems really exciting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I love uh, just the the vitality of Rome, the fact that it's this, you know, this large, this large, huge city, modern city, that as you're driving by, it's like, oh, and that's, and that's, you know, <laughs> thousands of years ago, you know, it's like, oh, that was made 2000 years ago, incredible. Um, and it's just, you know, people are like driving by on their scooters. So that's, that's kind of crazy. But uh, mm -hmm. one thing that was a lot of fun was, uh, years ago, I was able as part of this quest to visit my great grandfather's ancestral village, which, you know, village is the right word. It, it has, uh, even now it has 800 residents. <laughs> so uh, seeing that was pretty cool. That is very cool. So I, I know I'm going to be all over the map, but uh, we talked about relationships and uh, networking and, uh, you know, I, I'm a LinkedIn trainer and you are way above me in terms of what you do with LinkedIn in terms of 204,000 followers. That's not networking, that's fan base in, in some respects. And I, I'm in awe of that. Uh, how does that work in terms of, um, you know, you don't, you don't, you can't make any connections anymore unless you, you know, make it happen. Uh, but you have so many followers, does that, um, influence you i don't know what i'm trying to say I, I think just that is there something that goes with that like a responsibility or a, uh any thought patterns that go along with having that many followers oh my goodness uh, <laughs> i i guess i i don't really think of it in terms of a responsibility per se um right. but uh i i think most mostly what i what i try to do honestly is just um think about how I, I guess in terms of my usage of LinkedIn and what I'm posting, I try to think about a couple of things. One is what would be interesting for people to see, uh, both in a tactical sense, because, you know, you want something to be a post that gets some traction, but also because there's just so many boring things out there. So, you know, what can, what can you do to enliven it? And so when I think about 
the types of things that actually do pretty well. Um, one, which is really simple, it, and this ties in with a second factor is I often think about, well, how can I shine a spotlight on people? Uh, so something that I will often do is like take a picture of myself with somebody's book that I have endorsed or something like that. Yes, I think that's awesome. Yeah, so it's, you know, just kind of a, a nice way to introduce people to some other good thinkers or good, good authors. Um, I'm having to sort of ratchet that down a little bit because the honest truth is too, too, too many people were sending me books and I live in New York City and it really becomes untenable after a while. There's only so many square feet one possesses, but, uh, but I try to, you know, re reserve that uh, well uh, where I can. And um, yeah, another thing that uh, that I try to do sometimes, which seems to resonate with people, is you know having some kind of a you know a little piece of business advice, or uh, I guess you could say like an aphorism of of some kind, which hopefully can get people thinking or reflecting on their own lives and careers. But yeah, I think about you know what's useful, what's entertaining, what can uh, what can help illuminate other folks. So. I, yes, and I noticed that today. I mean, the, you had just posted about somebody's book, and I thought, oh, how nice! It's not always about you; it's about how you serve. And I and I didn't mean that in a in a like that you normally think it's about you. I didn't mean that. I just meant that you you know I can see you provide a lot of useful information, a lot of um, uh, advice, and uh, and then to serve other people by sharing what they have to offer. That's a plus, and that's not something everybody does. So I, I do love that. Um, as we start to wind down, um, I wanted to ask you about your branding piece. You teach branding. Um, do, you, do you recommend that, and I know it's, uh, you know it's not for everybody, but like you brand yourself, you're your brand as an entrepreneur. Do you usually recommend that if somebody is a solopreneur, somebody's got multiple streams of income, you're your brand. So make it brand you, make it doryclark.com, janisporter.com, whatever. Do you recommend that? I do. I mean, really the only instance in which it is not necessarily the best idea is if you have started a business that you intend to sell, um, so this would probably not be a solopreneurship, but if you were to start, you know, a, a small business, a boutique consultancy with multiple people, something like that, um, it becomes problematic at that point because it impedes your ability to sell because the buyer would say, well, it's doing great, you know, with Janice Porter leading it, but, uh, how would it be if, if we have, uh, you know, Jack Porter leading it, would anybody still care about it? And so in that case you need to have um, the branding really focused around the company rather than yourself. But certainly if you are uh, a solopreneur that intends to work for a while, uh, there's no reason in the world not to think about your personal brand because that becomes your calling card and that brand persists over time in a way that can help build trust and help bring in clients. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I know that, uh on your i didn't read this earlier but on your um bio the last thing that was on there was that people can download your free long game strategic thinking self-assessment um on your website and i will put this link um 
in the show notes, but I looked at it, I downloaded it and I looked at it and I thought, no, I have to think about this a little more before I actually fill it in. But it's really worthwhile for people who are entrepreneurs to really think about what they're doing and, and, and their, their path that they want to take. So um, I recommend that people do that. I and, appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I know that you're a curious person um, as am I, and I already said that to you, but do you think that, and I have to ask this because I ask most of my guests, do you think that curiosity is innate or a learned, um, thing? That's a, it's a good question. I, I assume that it is innate in the sense that, um, you know, just just about everybody would acknowledge that five-year-olds are very curious <laughs> so you know they won't shut up they're so curious and uh and so I, I think that this may just be a situation where uh curiosity becomes trained out of some people uh and uh because it's a little more convenient sometimes if you need to control uh rowdy youngsters for them you know to not ask the question and to just do the thing. But uh, as we've heard from many great thinkers, you know, Ken Robinson in the edge, the late oh, Ken Robinson oh in the God. education field. Yes. Yeah, he's great. Or, you know, Seth Godin has talked about this a lot. You know, we really have to understand that uh, the training that we get these days really is still a bit of a a holdover from the industrial economies training factory workers uh, where you know they don't really want you asking a lot of questions that's that's not really in the plan uh, but we are in a different phase of the economy now and both for the sake of our own happiness and autonomy and also i i would argue for the for the general good uh of uh advancing knowledge and uh, having having a more information-based economy, it's useful to understand that we do need to flip that switch a little bit uh, and curiosity and asking questions and examining fundamental premises and, you know, well, you know, is it true that this can't work or maybe is there a way it could work if we tried something a little different? Um, those are actually useful questions that we can and should be asking. Great answer from a thinker. A real creative thinker and uh um so last question because books and do, are, okay it's two parts are you a reader a listener or an, like an audio book person a video person or uh give me a real book person <laughs> well i i do a lot of different things uh I do like audiobooks because I like listening to them while I'm doing other things. So I will often be listening to audiobooks while I'm at the gym or if I'm in a cab or if I'm taking a walk. And I also like um, actually reading with my eyeballs. And uh, typically I do that uh, digitally now, again, because I live in New York City and uh, there are only so many books that can fit. So you're in Manhattan then, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, more, you said New York City, that's right. I love New York. I've only been there a few times and uh, um, really probably not seen, uh, you know, a quarter of it, but it's a very, uh, very exciting uh, place. I don't know if I could live there, but I am a city girl, so that's probably why I liked it. Um, so 
your book is going to be available. Let's just give that September 21st is the launch date. I think people can pre-order it now, as I recall. That's true. On, that is true. Amazon, is that right? Amazon? Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Indigo, if you're in Canada, all, all kinds of places. Okay. Um, I wish you well with it. I know it's going to be a huge success as your other books have been. And I'm very uh, grateful to have had the chance to interview you. Do you have one last piece of business advice for my audience who are entrepreneurs, sales professionals, small business owners? Well, thank you so much, Janice. It's great to have the opportunity to speak with you. As a, as a last piece, I might just point to a story that I close the long game with. I talk about a, a friend of mine named Dave Crenshaw, who is a time management and productivity expert. And what I love about him, he, he definitely walks the talk. He actually takes off two months a year. He takes uh, August and December off, which I love. And he, he says that, that what we need to understand is for all of us, um, the, the problem is, you know, lots of people say, oh, that sounds amazing. Oh, I wish I could do that, but uh, blah, 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 blah. oh, well, I have these meetings and so I can't. And the issue again, and this is a, a continual point that comes up in the long game. It's about a time horizon. And so, okay, for sure, you can't take a month off next month. You probably have a lot of things, but if you plan it a year in advance, let's say a lot more things become possible because you can work around it. And of course, you know, depending on people's particular business, their, their income, what they're able to afford, maybe it's not a month, but maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks, who knows? Um, and so we just need to put those things in our calendar first and give it enough time and plan around it so you can protect it. And when we do, it enables us to have uh, the restoration uh, that we need. And we're actually prioritizing what we claim matters most, which is in the end, what time management really should be about. Uh, so that's, that's a big part of playing the long game. And uh, I'll also just mention, you were kind enough to recommend the self-assessment for folks who want to get it for free. It's doryclark.com slash the long game. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. You are so uh, welcome, Dory. It's been my pleasure. And I hope that in the future, um, we will stay in touch. There's no hope, actually. It's not hope. It's just I know we will. I will make point of it. So I thank you again for being my guest. And thank you to my audience for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please leave a review. We love to hear reviews and questions. And please make sure that you check out uh, Dory Clark's website, doryclark.com, and her book, her newest book, The Long Game. Thank you again. And remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. 
Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.